Welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women. I'm Virginia Allen. And I'm Lauren Evans. And I'm Kristen Eichhammer. And it is spring. Spring! It's officially here, even though, judging by the temperature, I don't think spring knows cold here that it in has Washington, D.C. I'm concerned yeah. about the cherry blossoms, because every night yeah. it's getting down below freezing, almost. Wow, me too. I'm just so it. concerned about that. I'm very <laughs> concerned that they're not going to They're not going to blossom last night. <laughs> I bet. You lost sleep over those cherry blossoms. <laughs> There's some in front of the Capitol, though. They look mm. so pretty. And I mean, as long as the lattes are still there, the Compass makes a really good cherry blossom latte. Wow. I actually have not. Oh, man. I need really to do good. that this weekend. I have not had that. That actually, sounds delicious. On Saturday, it was nice here in Washington, D.C. Opened my windows, 55 degrees. Got some air in my house. Lovely. Um, then it got colder, so I closed the windows. Totally forgot to turn the heat back on. Woke up Sunday night, and it was 57 degrees oh my in my goodness. house. That's that's too cold. That is too cold. <laughs> did you get up and change the heat, or did you just like too tired? I'm gonna endure. And oh, 100. percent Okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I will survive. Especially because my thermometer's downstairs, so I would have to walk all the way oh, from my bedroom in the downstairs cold. in the freezing cold. It's not now happening. I was like, mm, let's pull mm. the covers up. Yeah, <laughs> we'll fix it in the morning. <laughs> exactly. Cuddle with the kitties. <laughs> oh man. All right. Well, Lauren, we have a full show today. There's a lot happening right now in the news. My goodness. Let us know what we have queued up. Upon today's problematic women, TikTok should be banned, and we're not the only ones saying it. We explain why lawmakers and even users want to see the platform banned in America. Plus, a state just banned the abortion pill, and a nationwide ban could be on the way. Also on today's show, we share what to know about some new digital currency. And as always, we'll be crowning our Problematic Woman of the Week. Each week on Problematic Women, we sort through the news to find those stories that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women, those whose views and opinions are often excluded by those on the so-called feminist left. If you are a problematic woman or just someone who supports strong, independent women, please support us by giving us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. It really does make a difference. All right, let's get to it. TikTok has become a ticking time bomb for the app CEO as he is set to testify before Congress today, March 23rd. But as debates around the viral video platform persist on Capitol Hill, Heritage is shining a light on the social harms of the app featuring the creator of Libs of TikTok and several members of Congress. Lauren, I know you've played a huge role in promoting this event, Mm. and um, it's been all over the radar, but can you tell us a little bit more about it and what excites you? Yeah, so great question, and I really am excited for this. As any longtime listener of Problematic Women know, that I was a TikTok user. You've gone on a full journey with been, TikTok. Yeah, wow. I am reformed. I, I now no spend idea. hours of my life on Instagram Reels. So. <laughs> <laughs> totally new woman now. Um, so different I'm from glad TikTok. you're here. <laughs> but it's true. I, I, it's, I hear the argument all the time of, like, what's the difference between giving your data to an American company versus a Chinese company? They're still, you know, ruining your attention span and feeding <laughs> you junk. But it's really scary when you look at what TikTok is able to do and how they're able to use your data to really kind of surveil the American population, right? They look at kind of where you touch your phone. They can know kind of 
what was in your clipboard when you opened the app. So any information that you may have copied and pasted, they then aggregate this data. So like if they just had my data, they would be like, oh, here's this weird 30-year-old girl from Washington, D.C. But if they aggregate weird girls from Washington, D.C., plus teenagers, plus adults, they're really able to see kind of how we move and how we think. And then they're able to greater influence us through TikTok, but also through you know, Hollywood and everything really that we consume. So what we're doing, um, 10 a.m. on Thursday morning today, if you're listening to this podcast, when it comes out, as you should, (laughs) there's going to be a hearing on Capitol Hill where, as Kristen mentioned, the CEO is going to testify. He is going to be grilled by lawmakers, as he should, to know if the Chinese government is using this data. Then afterwards, Heritage is gathering concerned parents, tech experts, Really, everybody who understands the damage that TikTok is having on our society together right in front of the Capitol to speak out. Um, We're going to have really cool T-shirts, and hopefully this will finally make a difference that people will understand that this isn't just another social media company. This is really like foreign espionage on our citizenry, and it's we need to nip this in the bud. Well, and I think there there are two major factors here, right? Lauren, there's the 100% the concerns over like you said, foreign espionage on our citizens that the Chinese Communist Party is able to collect and gather information on the American people, on our habits, on how we think, uh, what we like. So there's that major concern, but then I I think we have to talk about the fact that China has put restrictions, way Mm. more restrictions on TikTok than we have in America because they understand the effects that it has on people, that it's turning. I mean, we sound old when we say it, but it's kind of the truth. It kind of turns your brain to mush. And speaking as someone who loves Instagram Reels, um, I can attest to like almost this like daze that you find (laughs) yourself in after 40 minutes of scrolling. You don't feel smarter. Uh, So, you know, the fact that China is literally they have time restrictions Mm. on the amount of time a user can spend on the platform, but they are more than happy to let, you know, the 15 year olds in America spend all day on the platform. And I am not a conspiracy theorist, but to lean in just a little bit to that vibe, if you want to really diminish a group of people, if if you want to strategically go about making those individuals less smart, mm-hmm. you give them something like TikTok yeah. and you let them spend all day on it. Uh, and I would say, in part, this could be a long game for China of, okay, how can we affect the next generation, not only with the content that we're giving them, but kind of distracting them from what actually matters and what's really important. And you know, some people might say, oh, that's crazy. That goes too far. I wouldn't put it past the Chinese Communist Party. Yeah, the the difference in in use cases here, I think, even go look at the CEO himself um, on Fox this morning. They were talking about how he doesn't even allow his kids to use TikTok. And I think that speaks volumes to just how damaging this platform can be um, when a Chinese government entity, because essentially any organization working in China has that connection to the, the Communist Party, You're just going to continue to see propaganda, um, which is why a lot of these high up officials and even people in China really are limited in their use and in the content that's even pushed out on the platform. Mm -hmm. I think you're absolutely right. So with the hearing that's taking place, what do you think 
are some of these things that we might see? <laughs> well, first of all, the CEO did push uh, a message out to all TikTok users. Again, very propaganda-like, mm. asking for them to all write in the comments their favorite parts about TikTok and why they use it. So he's already kind of leaning into what the left does best, which is pull at the empathetic argument, the look at this is what the the loudest people in the room are saying, Mm -hmm. and this is the argument for TikTok. So I I wouldn't put it past him to bring all of that up. I hope that Republican lawmakers um, ask him why his children aren't using it, because Mm. frankly, that parenting decision should be made clear um, for all parents, especially someone so entrenched in the company. And then from there, I I just hope that we kind of get a better understanding of who, what Chinese officials are involved with ByteDance and why there is that hesitancy and pushback to not allow the two companies to decouple. Um, That's what I'm hoping to hear. Yeah, it's critical. And for those not here in Washington, D.C., or maybe haven't followed this issue very closely, parent company of TikTok, ByteDance, is really afraid that this is actually going to happen. This is not like old man yells at cloud, right? This is a very, it is a possibility that TikTok could be banned in the United States, which would be huge because there's over, you know, not over, but about half of Americans are on TikTok. There's 150 million Americans on TikTok. Wow, so many. And, but there's billboards everywhere here. Every, like, kind of DC insider newsletter I feel like is sponsored by TikTok. They are pulling out all the stops to make sure this doesn't happen. And I think their desperation really shows kind of how serious this is and and why what they're hiding. Mm-hmm. Well, and we've already seen that um a number of states have have taken steps to restrict TikTok in their states. And of course, uh, we've seen uh, huge movements to remove TikTok from government-issued devices, that mm-hmm. that's now banned. So it it often, I think, follows that, you know, there's these sort of little baby steps, baby steps, baby steps, and then you get to what could be potentially a full-on ban. But stay tuned because next we're going to talk about another ban, potential ban, uh, and that is good a, bans. a good ban. Yeah, I mean, th- these are all really, at the end of the day, positive bans. Banning TikTok is a good thing. But the abortion pill, that might be about to be much more restricted in the United States. But first, if you are enjoying this episode of Problematic Women and if you're searching for more like-minded podcasts, then I want to tell you about the Students Over Systems podcast. It's a new product of the Independent Women's Forum. And every other Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern, host Ginny Gentles is joined by parents and policymakers to discuss school choice and parental rights. Students Over Systems charts a path to a brighter future by featuring the voices of the creators, advocates, and beneficiaries of education freedom. So if you want to learn more, if you want to find those episodes, you can listen to all of the episodes at iwf.org, or you can search for Students Over Systems podcast wherever you like to listen. 
The most popular form of abortion in America is the abortion pill. According to the Guttmacher Institute, more than half of all abortions in America are carried out using the abortion pill. And that was even before Roe v. Wade was overturned. So you all probably remember that a couple weeks ago we talked about the fact that there is a possible coming national ban on the abortion pill. A number of uh, doctors and medical organizations, they have filed a lawsuit against the Food and Drug Administration over concerns that uh, the abortion pill essentially was kind of rushed through the approval process and over a lot of concerns over safety that the pills, uh, specifically mifepristone, which is one of those pills in the two-pill process to have uh, what's referred to as a chemical abortion using those abortion pills, that that is unsafe for women. It can lead to things like hemorrhaging. Well, we just saw recently uh, in the the past, um, about the past week, that Wyoming became the first state to straight out ban the abortion pill. Wyoming Republican Governor Mark Gordon just signed a bill that makes it a felony to sell, use, or prescribe any drug for the purpose of procuring or performing an abortion. So breaking this law could result in a six-month prison sentence or a $9,000 fine. The bill officially takes effect on July 1st, but it is also very possible that we're going to see some legal challenges. So the question is... Is this ban on the abortion pill, is it going to work? Do you think that this is actually going to uh, effectively keep individuals from using the abortion pill? And is it going to save lives? I mean, our favorite expert, Sarah Perry, in a video she did recently said, this is bigger than the Dobbs v. Jackson case, which is crazy to think about. This is going to effectively stop more abortions in America than overturning Roe versus Wade. The the weight behind that is just so immense and and so almost hard to wrap your head around because you can outlaw abortion, but the leftists are even still trying to sneak these pills into states where they're they're banned, right? But now we're talking about the actual factories that manufacture these medications are being shut down. The drugstores that give these out are saying, no, if it's against law, we're not going to to give them out. And we are finally able to really turn that corner where not only is abortion unthinkable, it's impossible. And it's it's really huge for the pro-life movement. And I'm so grateful for organizations like ADF and the Associated of Pro-Life Gynecologists. They're just the, the way that they look at this and we really attack this issue from all sides to really protect life in America is is huge. And I think the 50 years that we've spent as a pro-life movement really kind of unified on this issue is, is so important. I think it's really important to remain unified and not kind of now, now that we've won a couple cases to start infighting like conservatives like to do. Yeah, we have to avoid that at all costs because you get nothing done when that happens, right? And so the unity factor is huge. And I think I'm hopeful that what we'll see here is a little bit of a shift in women's mindset because unfortunately I think what has happened is the abortion pill for some has become a form of birth control and people have relied on it thinking, well, it's not that big of a deal if I get pregnant because there's these pills that I can take that, you know, I can have an abortion in my home. 
uh, not realizing, one, the safety concerns and the risk to themselves, but also not recognizing the fact that that is taking a life that is, in fact, just as much abortion as it is going in and having you know a full medical procedure um, to remove that child that is alive and living and healthy. So uh, I'm I'm encouraged that I think it like you said, Lauren, like this is all part of this process of abortion actually becoming really unthinkable and a culture of life being furthered in our country. I think what's cool too is we've seen from the left for a while a huge push to change that what you just said Virginia kind of remove the idea that when you get an abortion you are ending a life and they they really rely on that messaging and messaging is important but what i love about this is republicans are really leaning into the legal aspects the this is what our country was founded on this is the principle this is what the state and our united states constitution says and when you lean on that that's a much stronger argument when you make sure to flush that out and really get to the base of what is our country founded on? What are the things we are actually allowed to do? It doesn't matter what messaging or, you know, mean things the, the left pulls out. It's at the end of the day, it's the law. And yeah. um, I think it's really encouraging. I like being on the side of the law. So <laughs> it's really encouraging to see, you know, Wyoming's governor yeah. really lean into that. And I think we're going, I think this is going to create a ripple effect and other states are going to follow as soon as they realize the left can't destroy them when they're based on cold, hard facts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's, I think, about 15 states that already have some sort of restrictions on the abortion pill in place. And just to give a quick update on the possible federal ban of the abortion pill. So uh, Texas U.S. District Court last week, a judge heard arguments um, for the first time from attorneys on both sides. And now we're waiting on uh, what's called a preliminary injunction. So that would, as the case continues to move forward, that would put a uh, temporary ban on Mifepristone from uh, being sold in the market. So we could hear any day if that ban is going to take place and is going to go into effect. So we will keep you all posted on that and keep following this case that at the end of the day, this is a case about saving lives, literally hundreds of thousands of lives. And so we're, we're pretty excited to see what's going to happen here as we continue to celebrate life and talk about the importance of protecting life. But in a little bit of a hard, hard pivot. Hard pivot. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about money. Yeah. <laughs> Bring on the money. <laughs> no, um, this is such a cool topic, guys. Cryptocurrency, I, I majored in econ. I actually wrote a paper on if Bitcoin is or is not a currency. At the time, I said it isn't. It's interesting to see the world changing. But um, I think what's really cool is now it's starting to get into our, our policy world. And Florida Governor Ron DeSantis actually made news um, this week announcing that he wants to ban the use of a central bank digital currency in Florida. He uh, claims that the Biden administration's efforts to inject a centralized bank digital currency is about surveillance and control. The central bank digital currency being advocated for by members of the Treasury and Federal Reserve is being sold simply as a digital dollar, but the similarities are in no way comparable. 
Unlike Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, these digitized forms of currencies are under the control of the central bank and government as a whole. Proponents supporting the currency claim to want this digital currency to encourage transactions across borders and help those who don't have bank accounts. But privacy concerns are one of the big questions that come up when talking about the digital currency. So just to to start... um, Lots of unknowns here because we've mm-hmm. never done this. It kind of yeah. feels like the we're reliving the early 1900s when we set up the central bank and federal <laughs> reserve with this crypto system. But would you guys feel safe using a digital currency? I feel like what is safety anymore? <laughs> right. <laughs> no, I mean my my initial gut is is no because I don't want the government to have such access over knowing where I spend every dollar, having that information. I think I am perhaps a little bit cynical because I know 10 years ago I had a lot of concerns over uh, privacy issues that I was seeing fading away in America with things like social media. And for better or worse, I think I'm, I'm probably for worse, I'm very much at a point where it's like, well, we can't really hide anything. Like mm-hmm. our, our data is everywhere. You know, our phone tracks everything. Siri listens to all my conversations. Sure. It feels so hard to keep anything private. So money, though, is is really shows so much of, you know, where we put our value, where we put our time. So it it, it is creepy to think about the government having such access to be able to track that um, but I, I think, uh, I think about, okay, 10 years down the road, will this feel quote unquote normal yeah. just to have another way that we have lost privacy, which that's really sad to say. And so the, um, the freedom lover in me is like, no, this is a terrible idea. We should not go down this path. But as a culture, I feel like we've become so immune to just giving up privacy really quickly. And I, I think I'm a part of that. I, I've become sort of desensitized to it almost. Yeah, I think you can't talk about Bitcoin in this in the same breath because mm-hmm. they're totally different. While they might be like similar in the terms in the way of concepts, right, a digital currency, Bitcoin was made to decentralize and really sure. go against a kind of our – central bank, right? Like the central bank has been a hot, hotly debated issue since our country was founded, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So this is just completely different um, in a way that n- instead of kind of allowing you to have these purchases without the government knowing, because then they, really the government can track your credit card purchases, right? True, like right. they wanted True. to. So Bitcoin was a way to kind of get a- around that. Um this is a way that the government is trying to really not track on the American citizens, because I don't think necessarily the people who want this have like a nefarious Mm-mm. kind of goal. But at the end of the day, this is so dangerous. This yeah. is so scary. And I think they try to hide it behind these like acronyms that you're like, oh, yeah, a digital currency. That's mm-hmm. cool. You know, like it's I a have, new hip thing. I have yeah. some Dogecoin. I have some like <laughs> Ethereum. Right. Yeah. But the problem is that. This is always how kind of the central bank has has creeped through American lives, right? Mm-hmm. And there, there's just things that they do and they set up. And I had one friend over the years who always said the minute that America changed was when they started 
automatically taking taxes out of your paycheck, mm. right? Because be- before then, you would have to write a check. And it, could you imagine when you go to do your taxes, you had to write a check to the federal government for 30, 40, 50% of what you made? Yeah. Right? Like, so it would be, you would just be like, your head explodes. But yeah. now you know, most most of us have direct deposit, and they don't even think about it. It's mm-hmm. just like, here's, you know, I get... Feels like it was never my money to begin with, even though it was technically. (laughs) And so that's one of those things that that they're trying to do. If they can just slip it in like, oh, it's no big deal. Like you said, you'll get used to it. But this is how kind of big government creeps into our lives. And I I think we're finally at a point in the conservative movement. I think the Tea Party was was huge about this. And, and, you know, the Tea Party has waned. We're now... It makes me feel old to think about how far removed we are from that. But there are still so many fiscal conservatives who were elected in 2010 who still kind of stand up to this and and make sure that it's important. I think Ron DeSantis is a great example of that, who's like, we're not going to do this. And we what we need to do is you as American citizens, we love on this podcast talking about abortion and these softer issues that are, are really important. Right. But you have to also know the economics side of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You have to understand interest rates. Mm-hmm. You have to understand kind of what they're doing, because if not, like we can fight one battle, but still lose the war if big government just continues to grow the way that it's growing. I'm so glad that you brought that up, too, because they do try to make this a soft issue. One of the arguments that the the central bank is making for this currency is obviously with Bitcoin for those that have invested I did. Um, (laughs) There's been a lot of volatility and people have lost hundreds, if not thousands of dollars. And sure, that's a cute argument to make. But in all reality, what they're trying to do with this currency is really create a system that is easily manipulated, not free market. Um, but they're pushing it as if it it were. Um, And just to kind of break it down too, with the, the Bitcoin comparison, the differences couldn't be more clear. The reason Bitcoin was like even created and why people are mining it is because there is that ability to be anonymous with each transaction. I think that it is so scary that the different types of currencies that they're trying to make with this this central bank digital currency is one that would put your name and unique identifying number with every transaction. And to your point of we aren't seeing exactly how those cryptocurrencies are being, you know, removed or given to us. Um, one of the the pushes for this is that there is a version of the cryptocurrency specifically for banks. So the central bank is going to, you know, give other smaller banks like Chase, J.P. Morgan, all of them amounts of this cryptocurrency to keep in their reserves just like they do the dollar, because this is a fiat currency. And we have no idea if another Silicon Valley bank were to go bankrupt, how much of that cryptocurrency they would give to them to bail them out, and how many tax dollars per uh, unique unit of that cryptocurrency would cost us. So I think there's so much that we're losing in our own ability to remain anonymous while granting the central bank this ability to not be transparent with us on how they're using our taxpaying dollars, that it's just a lose-lose for the taxpayer at the end of the day. I think it's a little bit of a classic case of just because we can doesn't mean we should. (laughs) It's the new shiny object of, ooh, we can have, you know, fully, fully digital currency. It sounds exciting. It sounds new. But like we've talked about, there are some major, major security concerns. And you know, one of the one of the arguments that are made for people advocating for it is, oh, it, it's going to help people that don't have bank accounts. And 
first off, uh, in in 2021, the Heritage Foundation reported that 95% of Americans already have bank accounts. And then among that 5% that don't, one of the reasons that they don't is because of concerns over security and not trusting the banking institution as a whole um, or simply for financial reasons that they don't have enough money to meet those minimums. So then it, it doesn't make sense that, OK, just switching to something that's fully digital will all of a sudden bring more faith and trust. I think it's the exact opposite. So it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. And China has already taken broad steps towards this, of course. Um, and I I have to have a major pause anytime the United States starts talking about doing things similarly to the Chinese Communist Party that, you know, even have a, a slight look of being similar. If I can make a plug really quickly. Um, so one of the one of the other reasons is that uh, that we're looking at this new digital currency is because nine other countries have already passed this. And most of those countries are in the Caribbean or, you know, they're very highly tourist attraction areas, which is why they kind of want it. Right. It removes that uh that exchange tax, all of that. Um, but China is also one of them, like you said. And we are coming out with a, a huge paper at the Heritage Foundation focused on China and how it's we're kind of in this new Cold War with China right now. Mm -hmm. And we have, I think, two sections devoted to the economic pressures. And I believe the digital currency is addressed in that paper. It's coming out next week, guys, I believe Monday or Tuesday. So be on the lookout for that, because to your point, there are a lot of parallels with this central bank digital currency and what the Chinese government is using right now. And it's scary. There have been videos of people holding their phones up to try and buy, you know, train tickets out of China. Like it, there's just so many scary things when the central bank forces you to rely on a digital currency that can be removed in the, the snap of a finger. So look out for that paper next week. Um, a lot of people have put a lot of work into it, mm -hmm. um, and it's going to be great. Awesome. Thanks, Kristen. All right. Well, stay tuned because up next, we crown our problematic woman of the week. We get it. With big media bias, it's hard to find accurate, honest news. That's why we've put together the Morning Bell Newsletter, a compilation of the top stories and conservative commentary. To subscribe, just head to dailysignal.com slash subscription, or visit dailysignal.com and click on the connect button at the top of the page. Now it is that time once again, my favorite time of the week, time to crown our problematic woman of the week. And the crown goes to Sally Ride. We are still here in Women's History Month, and Sally Ride is just such an important figure in kind of the way women were viewed in science, right? That there's always the story, and I don't know if it's true or not, but like when they were ready to send the first woman into space, they were like, how many tampons should we send? Like 300, 400, 500? And it's always like, <laughs> that's, that's what men you know knew about women. So that was the culture. They're going to need tampons up there on the moon. <laughs> yeah, four days. <laughs> so... I just think it, it just shows that you really do have to be tough. You can't see yourself as the, as the victim, right? You have to insert yourself. You have to be be strong. And Sally Ride is just one of those women who at the forefront of her field mm -hmm. and the first American woman to go, to go to space. space. Yeah, 
those are the types of women that we should look up to, not Dylan Mulvaney, not, you know, these new kind of victims. We need to look up to women who kind of faced giants and fought. And that's kind of where we're at as women in society. And you need to face the giants and fight like Sally Ride. Inspirational, Lauren. Wow. Thank you. <laughs> That was great. Space knowledge. Boom. <laughs> you got it. I know. Since, since we have Kristen joining us, uh, I feel like we've we've had so many more conversations about space and giving credit to the individuals that have uh, really unlocked space in many ways for so many of us here. Yeah. No, like I Sally mean, Wright. I, we don't talk about it enough and the news doesn't cover it enough yesterday. <laughs> Brett, we don't talk about space enough. <laughs> but it is the next frontier, guys. Like, there's a lot going on in space. There is a lot. Kristen, I don't even have a passport. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you definitely, I mean, you don't need one to go to the International Space Station. Like, In like five years, Kristen's going to announce on the show, guys, I'm moving to Mars with Elon Musk. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, no. I would. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that that's probably a good place to to leave it for this week. So congrats to Sally Ride for being Problematic Woman of the Week. And that's going to be it for this week's edition of Problematic Women. Join us next Thursday morning for a brand new edition. But in the meantime, subscribe and share, share, share. Do it. You won't. You won't. <laughs> Conservatives need your support in the podcast world, and we would greatly appreciate a five-star review on Spotify, CastBox, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you do get your podcasts. It really does make a difference. Hey, get out this weekend. Enjoy spring if it warms up a little bit, if it's not raining. And we'll see you right back here. Ooh. <clears throat> See, it's the pollen getting to you already. Yep, 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 it is. It's that pollen. We will see you all right back here next Thursday. Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is a product of The Daily Signal produced by Lauren Evans and Virginia Allen. And be sure to follow Problematic Women on Instagram. We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.